Today we're going to focus on the life of Jacob. We've kind of been introduced to him in the last couple of weeks, but the life of Jacob, the son of Isaac. And we're going to look at his life, um, we're going to look at the development in his life. Here's one of the wonderful things that scripture offers. We can, it offers perspective. We can read a few chapters and we can look at somebody's entire life. And we can see how God works. Pastor Bruce talked about it today. He didn't even know this. Literally dovetailed exactly with my message. Is that, that some are, sometimes life is about long-term stuff. And in the middle of the moment, you don't always see what God is doing. But with the blessing of perspective, and like we can look at this as guy's whole life in a couple of chapters, we get perspective and we can actually see what God is doing in his life. We can look at how he starts and we can look at how he ends. And we can see how that happened, because if, if they went closer to God, we can say, okay, whatever you did in that guy's life, God, I want you to do in my life. I want to take some of those lessons that he learned, some of those principles he applied. I want to learn those lessons, apply those principles, so that like that guy developed, I can develop also. And do you understand that's one of the reasons God gave us his word? He gave it to reveal himself, but he also gave it to reveal how he interacts with the life of people. And so he gave us, we can look at characters in the Bible and say, as God dealt with that guy, he'll deal with me because Jesus is the same, what, yesterday, today, and forever. He operates the same. And we know that, that he, is, that, that he continues to work in our lives. So if he worked with Jacob in certain ways, he'll work with me. In certain ways. So we're going to look at this life of Jacob and we're going to kind of step back and try to take in a bulk of his life and we're going to see a transformed man. We're going to see a man who develops and changes. And what I hope is going to happen as we see his transformation is that it's going to spur us on to desire continual transformation in our lives. And you hear me say this a lot, but how many of you know this that we're not done changing yet? We're not. Until we die, we need to keep changing. If you think you've arrived, you're, you're, de- you're, you're deluding yourself. Because none of us this side of heaven are everything that we can be. And one of the great joys of Christianity is that it never stops. That it continues to develop and grow. And you, you can't get bored in your faith if you're really engaged in your faith. Because in your faith, God wants to keep taking you from glory to glory. So if you're going to think like, oh, I'm bored at life. You know what? That's, that's because we're not plugged into saying, I want, to get, I want to get closer to God. I want to do more for God. Instead of this American ideal that says, I turn a certain age, you know, 58, 62, 65, and I just retire from life and I collect seashells on the beach, that is the most boring idea of what life could be all about. It says that I want to keep on being transformed. Might be, might be uh, nice to not have to work every day, but... Yeah, right, Pastor Mitch? <laughs> to work every day. But um, we never stop being transformed. So one of the things I want us to see in the life of Isaac is that we can see how we, we can be challenged to be transformed like Isaac, uh, like Jacob was transformed. But uh, something else I hope we get today, that as, as we think about transformation, that it gives us a chance to kind of look back over our lives of perspective and to celebrate the transformation that has already taken place in our lives. And you know what? If you've been walking with God for a while and you've been walking in step with him, you're a whole lot better than you ever were before. God has done a lot of really cool things in your life already. And and I love watching, I especially love watching the first couple of years of a person's life because kind of the big things seem to to come to the forefront and God works in those lives and you go, holy cow, this guy, this gal is totally different than they were. And I hope you can see some of that today. You can look back and say, man, in my core I'm being changed. 
Because if you see as in your core, in the very nature of who you are, you're being changed, it's a revelation of the reality of God in your life. And you can celebrate that and say, man, God loves me so much that he's transforming me. And today you can celebrate the reality that God is helping you develop into Christ-likeness. Because that's how he develops us, into Christ-likeness. Maybe you're a better husband than you were. Maybe you're a better wife than you were. Maybe you're a better parent. Maybe you're a better kid. All those things, a better, a better employee, um, just a better citizen. All because God is doing a transforming work in your life. We're going to see those things in the life of Jacob today. And uh, for Jacob, his journey that we're going to look at is one from deceiver to devoted man of God. And God does something really cool for us so we can actually, he points out that transformation and he does it by changing his name. He's born being called the supplanter or the deceiver. That's what his name means, Jacob. And he goes from there in a transition and he becomes renamed as, does anybody remember his name becomes? Israel. And you say, no, 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 that's the name of a nation. Understand something. This is the birth of the nation. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it's the birth of the nation. And this is where the name comes from. God changes his name from Jacob, deceiver, to Israel, one who wrestles with God. That's what the name means. And so here we have this, this transformation taking place in the life of this person. Now, his spiritual life as a deceiver doesn't start off so good. You know, this is the, the child who was chosen by God for greatness from his birth. Remember what it said? We wrestled with it, I think, a week ago, when it said, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Remember, we looked at the two sides of a coin and said, how can it be that before he was born, God said, I love this guy, and I'm not so pleased with this one? But he was this child destined for greatness, Jacob I loved, before birth. But when we begin to see his life opening up, we see he's not some guy living this life of greatness. In fact, he's the man who, who finagles his brother's birthright from him. Remember, his brother came in from the field and said, I'm starving to death. Give me some of that red stuff. He says, I'll give you some of my soup if you sell me your birthright. So he sells him his birthright. And then a little while later, he, um, he, he deceives his dad and he robs the blessing that's going, supposed to go to his brother. And his dad blesses him and gives him the blessing of the older son, even though he's not the older son. So he finagles this. You know, and that, and that, so that's uh, the, um, the way he starts off. And then in, because he robs his birthright in fear, he then flees from his brother Esau um, because his brother has vowed to kill him. Now that's not a very good starting place for your life. That you, you rip off your brother to such extent that he makes a promise that what he wants to do towards his brother is kill you. But that's the kind of guy he starts off with. And he flees off to his relative's land, the land of Pet Amaram, where his relatives live. And there he begins, that's what we're going to look at today, he begins this lifelong journey toward maturity. We're going to see that process. And what we're going to find, we're going to look at a, a great big section of Scripture, all the way from chapter 28 of Genesis to chapter 35. Now, who thinks we should read the whole thing? We'll be here a long time, okay? We're not going to read the whole thing. Um, but, you know, we're going to find in there, we're going to look at some different things. So we're going to find in, in Genesis 28 to 35, and we're going to find the story of his journey toward maturity. And the interesting thing, one thing I want to point out in the beginning is that his story is just a story of ordinary life. It's a story of, of living and working 
And getting married and having children now, his life's a little different than ours in that he has four different wives and children from four different people. But in his culture, it was accepted and normal. It's just a story of working as a, as a herder, as a shepherd, and getting married, having kids, and raising them. Um, it's just kind of ordinary life for a 20-year span we're going to look at. And during those 20 years... He has some encounters with God. But here's something you need to pay attention to. In that entire 20-year time, do you know how many encounters with God it says he has? He has three. Three times he has a dramatic encounter with God, and I think there's probably only three. And the reason I say that is if there were more, they would have been recorded. Because God made it a point of recording the three times that he had this dramatic encounter with him um, during this 20-year span. And what we're going to see in these encounters, this part we're going to read, we're going to read the three encounters with God. What we're going to see with those encounters is that they're going to reveal um, his maturing process. They're going to reveal his transformation, and we're going to see the growth that's taking place. And here's my hope, that as we watch the transformation, two things happen. Number one, we go, oh yeah, I can identify that happening in my life also. That I can see I've changed that way. And we celebrate. The other one is we say, you know what, I see that maybe I need to be transformed. That I haven't figured it all out yet. Because here, friends, one of the greatest hindrances to becoming all God wants you to become is pride. That says, I've got it all figured out. None of us have it. None of us are developed all the way. And so hopefully as we watch him being transformed, it will challenge us to be transformed. So what I want us to do is look at this, this big picture. And so let me kind of just briefly, as quick as I can, give you an overview of what happened during this 20-year span in Jacob's life. And we're going to stop three times in the story, and we're going to read about his encounters with God. Okay? So it all began when he fled from his brother who he had ripped off, and he fled, flees to his dad's homeland. His mom tells him, get out of here, your brother's going to kill you. Take off for the relatives. And so he takes off, and on his way, something happens. He has an encounter with God. Anybody remember the place where he has his first encounter with God? place called Bethel. Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. He names it that because he has this encounter with God as he's fleeing from his brother. So grab your Bible, open up to Genesis 28, and we're going to look at the first encounter with God. Starting in verse 10, we're going to read all the way over to verse 22. Okay, Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. This is his first encounter with God. It says, Then Jacob departed... From Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and laid down in that place. I like the details God gives. This guy's using a rock for a pillow. And he, he had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. So it's interesting, he's fleeing the land, but God said the land you're in is going to be your land. Verse 14, and your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised in you. 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And I was afraid, and I said, How awesome is this place! There is none other, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which means house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, I will give his, and it will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So, that's his first encounter with God at a place called Bethel. Now, file that away for a minute, okay? Think, let's, let's, let's put that away, and we're going to keep on moving through his life, and we're going to come to the next encounter. And it, what happens in the next part of his life is he arrives in his flight to the relative's homeland, to Pedamaram, and he meets his relatives. He meets a guy named Laban. You know who Laban is? We've met him before. Laban is his mother's brother. And uh, so he meets his mother's brother in the land. He goes back there, and he begins to work for his relatives and uh, works for Uncle Laban. And Laban says to him, hey, you can't work for free. What will your wages be? And he says, I tell you what, I have fallen in love with your daughter Rachel, and I will work seven years to marry your daughter Rachel. So he works for seven years, becomes his wedding night. It's dark out, obviously. They have a big celebration. I honestly believe, I'm not being funny here, alcohol had to be involved in the next events of the night because at the end of the celebration, he goes in the tent with his new wife that he's loved and worked for for seven years. He does not understand that the wife he now is with in the tent is not Rachel. He wakes up in the morning, the sun comes up, he looks... And it's not Rachel, but it's Leah, her older brother. Or older sister, rather. That would really be that older brother. <laughs> that would really be alcohol involved. But it's her older, her older sister. And so, boy, you guys like that one. I didn't even try. See, I always tell Suzanne I'm funny and I don't try to be, just by making mistakes. And so... He wakes up, he figures out, this is not the deal I struck with you, Laban. He goes out furious and says, what have you done? And Laban says, you know, time out, buddy. We have a rule in our land. We don't ever marry the younger daughter out before the older daughter. So he says, you know what? You work seven more years for me, and you can have my other daughter. So what he does is he feels, fulfills his commitment to his, to his first wife. He has a week with her, and then he gets... Rachel as his wife, and then he works seven more years to pay off having her as his wife. So he works 14 years to get two women who become his wives. And then after those 14 years of working with the, for these two to be his wives, he works six more years for Uncle Laban, and it says that during those six years, he's mistreated, he's ripped off. This is that Laban changes his, his salary a bunch. Have you ever been in that situation where you, you bargain to work for something and they change the rules afterwards? Well, that's what happened. He says, oh, you get earned this much, and he changes his salary multiple times. And after, so 20 years, seven, seven, and six, he's been working for Uncle Laban. He finally tired of of it, and he says, I'm out of here. So he secretly, because they didn't live right next to each other, so they were a three-day journey apart where they lived, he secretly takes off from Laban and says, I'm going back home to the, to the land I came from originally. 
And so he, he's heading back home, and he has his second encounter with God in a place called Peniel. And so now, flip over to chapter 32, and we're going to look, starting in verse 22, down to verse 33. Okay. This is his second encounter with God. As he, he's fled from Laban, Laban and him have worked things out because um, Laban pursues them, and then he has a encounter with God. It says, Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and set them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel. For he said, I have seen God face to face. And yet that's what the, that's what the word means, Peniel. Yet my life has been preserved. Then the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. So here we have second encounter with God. He is done fleeing from Laban. He's heading back home. He is in the middle of the night, sends his family over a river, and he has this encounter with God where he wrestles with him. And Pastor Bruce preached about that a couple months back, about a month ago, three or four weeks ago, um, about that encounter of wrestling with God. And so we have the second encounter where he, where he wrestles with God. And after the encounter, he, he walks with a limp after that point. And he, as he walks with a limp, it says the next thing that happens in his life after this encounter, let's remember that encounter, file it away, he moves forward to the promised land, but there's an obstacle in the way. Anybody remember the obstacle? It's brother Esau. Older brother Esau who was ripped off 20 years ago. And he goes, uh-oh, time of judgment's coming. So what he does is he knows Esau, he finds out Esau is up ahead, and he goes and he splits up, he takes all this livestock, and he sends the people off in groups. And everyone, when they meet Esau, they say, uh, who are you? And he goes, who, who do you belong to? And he goes, this is a gift from your brother, and now this gift is yours. And so he, he, um, he meets up with Esau and Jacob, meet up, they reconcile, everything is worked out between them. Esau, Jacob finds out that Esau has been blessed, and he's going to inhabit the land. And when he's, he has some more problems, we won't take it all, all the time to go into it. They have a battle with the city over the rape of one of his daughters. And so that happens. And as he's trying to figure out where should I settle, the Lord speaks to him again and says, Go back to Bethel. Go back to where you met me the first time. And he has his third encounter with God. So let's look at that encounter. Chapter 35, starting in verse 9. It's the third encounter that he has. And it says, When God appeared to Jacob again, when he, had when he had come from Padamaram and he blessed him, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. 
Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in that place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it, and he also poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So he had already been named Bethel. He calls it it's the place of God again. Okay, now... I understand that we just went through 20 years of Jacob's life and we looked at three encounters that he had with God. It was a whirlwind tour through Jacob's life. But here's something, and I'm hoping you can catch this with me today. There's something revealed in this story through these encounters with God that reveals a greatly changed man. And I'm hoping I can, I can somehow express it to you because I can remember the day reading this text years and years ago, reading through the whole story of Jacob, and having God kind of open up my eyes and reveal to me how these encounters with him showed the progression of the man Jacob and gave a pathway saying, that's the kind of progression I want in my life. And I hope that somehow that same thing can happen to all of us today. And so let me give you a, a brief explanation of how these three encounters reveal a transformation. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at, real quickly, we're going to go through some, some things that were revealed in his life process that allowed this transformation to take place. So let's look at the transformation first. The, transform, the first encounter with God, we see in the very beginning of his life. He just ripped off his brother, he flees, he stops at, at a place he calls Bethel, and he has a dream. And in the dream, remember what he sees? He sees angels ascending and descending. And he, he, he concludes, this must be the place of God. And he reveals something about himself. He reveals that he's an immature man. Now understand something about immaturity. Immaturity is not wrong. Immaturity is simply a reality of, of our growth and development process. We're all immature in some things. We all start off immature and we should progress. Now the reality is we don't all progress. Sometimes people get saved and stuck. They just get saved and they stay right in that same spiritual condition they did when they came to Jesus and they don't mature. And that's what we're challenging today, to not have that happen. But you say, how come you see him as immature here? This is how come I see him as immature. Because when he encounters God, what is the very first thing he does when he encounters God in that place? He starts making deals with God. He starts deal making with God. He says, God, you know what? If, and it's interesting, look, pay attention how it's written. He says, God, if you will give me food, and you will give me clothing, and you will bring me safely back, then I will make you my Lord. He says, if you do all these things for me, God, then I will serve you. If you provide for my needs and, 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 and give me everything I, that I want, then, God, I will serve you. That's the re revelation of an immature person. They're making deals with God. Self is very important. The idea of everything's got to center on me is very important. And that's a reality of immaturity. Immaturity is a, as a person just growing up spiritually or just, or just growing up uh, in, as far as their, their um, makeup of who they are. A, a way to understand somebody's maturity level is that they think the whole world revolves around them. There's a point in time in maturity we suddenly realize the world doesn't focus on me. I'm not the center of the universe. That I'm just one part in God's big picture. But an immature person thinks everything rises and falls on them. Anybody ever have teenagers? 
young teenagers, my boys have grown past this, praise the Lord, where they think everything's about them, it's normal. I remember a day distinctly when I was about 12 or 13 years old, when I was sitting by myself, was not a believer, had not been raised really knowing Jesus, and I had a revelation that I was not that important in the world. And I remember thinking, if I died tomorrow, only a few people would cry. I thought my mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, my brother and sister might be happy, um, but you know what? But, and, but in the long run, only a few people would, and they would forget me in a few months. It was a, it was a process of maturity. It was understanding that I wasn't all that important. And that's, we see this in Jacob. It's all about Jacob. He's coming in this encounter with God and he says, God, I'll do this, you know, but you've got to do that first. So we see revealed here in this encounter an immature guy. But now let's fast forward a number of years. Matter of fact, we're going to fast forward 20 years. And 20 years after serving Laban in all these ways, getting married, you learn a little bit being married to four ladies and his two wives, the wives' maids, and 11 children. That'll, that'll mature you a little bit. It may drive you crazy too. But um, we see this guy 20 years later in encounter two at a place called Peniel. He names it Peniel. And we see a different nature in the man. We see a man who's not immature anymore, but we see a man who's developing. And you know why, how we see him developing? We see him developing because he's desperate and striving but he's desperate and striving. Because a lot of people are desperate and striving. doesn't mean that they're, they're mature. They strive for wealth. They strive for success. They strive for whatever, for pleasure. But we see a guy who's developing because he's desperate and he's striving. But he's desperate and striving for the right things. He says, God, I won't, I won't let you go until you bless me. And it says he wrestles with God all night long. And in the morning, uh, this angel of the Lord, or whomever it is, the scripture doesn't really make it that clear, it's some divine visitation, says, no, 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 um, let me go, it's morning time. He says, no, I won't do it till you bless me. He's determined and he's desperate for the most important things. We see right motives and right attitudes. He's still driven, but he said, I need to get all I can get. And that's an important part in the development. We don't grow unless we have a passion for the things of God. That's encounter number two. Now let's fast forward a few more years. And we come to encounter number three. In encounter number three, God has said to him, go back to Bethel. And I think God does that a lot in our lives. We have an encounter with God in some capacity, and he says we, maybe we drift or we err or, or maybe we're growing, but he, he takes us back to a place where we met him before. And he says, i got something more for you. And he brings us back to Bethel. And you know what he does? He said, go back to Bethel. And he goes back to Bethel, and this time at Bethel I see a totally different man. I see a man who is mature, a man who is established. And you say, well, how do you see that in that text? I see it primarily by what doesn't exist. What's not mentioned in the text? When he, when he encounters God this time, do you notice something? There's no deal making. He doesn't say, God, if you'll give me this, I'll give you that. He doesn't try to strike any bargains with God. And not only that, we see a man who's not wrestling anymore. He's not saying, God, you can't leave until you bless me. We see no wrestling. We see no bargain making. You know, we see one thing. We just see him worship. That's all we see him do when he encounters God the third time. He just worships. It says he takes the pillar, the rock, he sets it up. It says he pours an offering over the top of it, and he pours oil over the top of it. There's nothing else that he does. He doesn't try to say, God, now give me something. God, you can't leave until you give me more. Because he understands in his life, because he's growing and he's established, there is nothing more. That the encounter is the blessing. And that's what God wants us to understand in maturity. The encounter, the relationship, the connectivity to God is the blessing. 
And he said, and Jacob understands that. He's walked for all these years and he understands, God, just if I could have the same encounter with you that I had at Bethel, I would just want to experience that again. And that's what he's saying is he said, God, I don't need to wrestle. God, I don't need to bargain. I just want to be in your presence. And he just worships. He's come to this place of understanding in life that it's all about God, that it's not about him. One of the things that marks maturity is when you finally kind of sit back and you start saying, you know what? All this other stuff doesn't really matter. All that really matters is just being connected to God. I just want to sit quietly with God and and learn. I want to sit sit quietly with God and, and receive. I want to just be in His presence all the more. And I just want to worship Him. You know what? He's found out who He is in God. He's becoming satisfied with that. He's saying, I'm comfortable with who He is in God. You know what? I think He's got the the been there, done that, got the t-shirt kind of attitude. So I've been through all that. You know what? I don't need to strive. I've walked with God for a long time and I'm, I'm happy with who I am. He's not so excitable anymore. He's a more solid man. He's become a mature man. And you know what? Importantly, he's become a man then that God can use. God says, now you're ready. And he takes him back to the promised land. He says, now you're ready for me to develop you into the next step of the development of the nation of Israel. He said, you had some rough edges and we all do. He says, now you're getting to the point where I can use you because you're established. And friends, it's a great sense in our lives when we stop wrestling, we stop bargaining, and we just say, God, I'm ready. You know, I'm just settled and I'm established. Friends, I hope that that's what we all desire in our lives. To develop so that God can work through us in a wonderful way where we become solid in our walk with God. But I want to tell you something. It doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't just happen. It didn't just happen in Jacob's lives. Those three encounters were surrounded by years of just living. And the years of just living were the things that caused the transformation in the encounter. The encounter didn't cause a transformation. The time between the encounters caused the revelation of the transformation. It was walking with God that caused the growth. And in those years of living, I see some things, some kind of keys that Jacob did that fostered the growth within him. And I want to real quickly now, because I'm going to mention a number of them, and I know we're, I'm going to take us a little late here today, but I want to mention some of these things that Jacob did that, that, he, that are revealed in his life so that we can say, God, um, I want those things in my life. God, I want, I want those things to help me to grow in my life as I journey with you. So let's real briefly look at some of these. And there's five of them, so I'm just going to mention them. I should probably make them into a whole sermon, but we're just going to mention them this morning because you can say, do they exist in my life? The first one is this, that we see in the life of Jacob. That Jacob started with a commitment. The first thing we see in his journey to maturity is he started with a commitment. At his first Bethel experience, Jacob made a commitment to God. He said this, If God will be with me and protect me, then I will make the Lord my God and will give him a tenth of all I get. He made a commitment to walk with God from the very beginning. Now, it's a, a commitment of a young person. We talked about it already. It's an immature commitment He makes because he makes a deal with God. He says, You care for me, God, and I'll serve you. But you know what? That's the kind of commitment that young people make. Young in the Lord or young in years. Because you can be old in years and young in the Lord. That's the kind of commitment that immature people make. And there's a reason for it. 
They have no track record with God yet. It's not that they're bad. It's that Jacob didn't know if he could trust God. Because he hadn't walked with God at all. He hadn't seen the miracles. He hadn't benefited from the provision. And so he, he makes a commitment to God of an immature person. And he says, you know what? I'll, I'll commit to you, but there's some strings attached. Let's not knock that kind of commitment. Because it starts off um, this guy's young life saying, I will serve you and honor you even with my money. And that's an evidence that it's a real commitment. He says, I'll even honor you with my resources, with my money. I'll give you a, t- a tithe. I'll give you 10%. You know, that's something that we do as young people in the Lord. We make some commitments. It might not be real mature, but it's a starting place. Um, because we're kind of making deals with God, and who are we to make deals with God? You think we really got to say to God, hey God, I'll do this if you do that. Do we have a place to do that? No, in maturity we go, oh my goodness, you have no right to do that. But when we start off with God, oftentimes, we make some commitments with some strings attached. But you know what? That's not a bad thing. Because it's starting a foundation of saying, I'm going to walk with God. And that's what he did. He started off his life. He could have said, I'm fleeing from God. But he said, said, God, I commit to you. And so he made a commitment. Second thing I see that he did after making a commitment is that Jacob, in his development, learned to practice the elementary things. What I mean by that is um, this guy who was a deceiver, um, when he went to stay with Uncle Laban, he became deceived. Remember, he was the tricker, the deceiver. He works for Uncle Laban, and he gets ripped off. Ripped off in his wives, ripped off in his wages. And he becomes deceived. And, and what we see in Jacob's life is that he stopped living by deception. And maybe it was because he experienced the sting of deception himself firsthand. And begins to live in an honorable fashion before people in his relationships. Early in his life, he's all about deceiving. And now he begins to act honorable. We start to see a maturing man. And although he's cheated by Laban, he does not cheat in return. He works hard for him, and he acts honorably. In fact, when he's fleeing from Laban, and Laban catches up to him after seven days, and Laban's furious with him and starts railing on him, his response to him is he said, Listen, I served you for all these years, and I was always honest with you, and I was always hardworking, even though you always mistreated me. And he looks at his life and he goes, I have been honest and a man of integrity. See, Jacob learned to practice the elementary things of the faith. And friends, you need to understand, part of maturing is just living the life. It's just living the right way. It's doing the basic stuff that God tells us to do in his word in the scriptures. It's simply doing what's right because it's right and not doing what's wrong because it's wrong. It's living by God's plain instructions revealed through his word. You know what? It's learning to be honest even if you've been dishonest in the past. It's learning to be forgiving, even if you have chosen to to harbor unforgiveness in your life. It's saying, I want to learn to forgive. It's learning to love your wife, even if she's hard to love, and honor your husband, even if he's hard to honor. It's just doing the simple things. It's the basic stuff. Friends, part of maturing is simply choosing to do what you know is right in the sight of God. And I believe this about us in this room today. There very well could be things that the Spirit of God is reminding us of. We come into a worship service, we get into the presence of God, and you say, why did that thought come into my mind? How come that thought's coming there about this particular aspect of my life? That's the love of God saying to you, I want you to change, I want you to grow, I want you to do what you know is the right thing to do, because He wants you to mature. And we have choices to make. Do we line up with that, or do we fight it? 
Part of maturing is when we choose to line up with it when he reveals it to us. If you want to take a step forward in your life of maturity, when God speaks by the voice of his spirit and says that part doesn't belong in your life, you say, okay, God, I want to get better. So part of maturing is simply doing the right thing because God says to do it. That helps you advance. The third thing that I see in his life that helped him mature is that he was desperate for God's blessings. At Peniel, and this is in the middle of his life, at Peniel, he wrestles with God through the entire night and said he wouldn't quit until he was blessed. He was desperate for God's blessings, and it says he struggled until he won. He wouldn't quit. And I have found, friends, if you want to mature in Christ, then your walk with God must become your passion. Your walk with God. Some of you say, I've got a lot of passions in my life. I love, to, I love to watch sports. I love to hunt. I love to fish. You know, whatever. I love to play video games, whatever it might be. And until your primary passion is that you want to connect more with God and other things begin to fade away, you won't really advance further in your maturity. Understand, this was in the middle part of his life. It was in the middle part of your life. And how many of us are in the middle part of our walk with God? And suddenly our passion begins to wane. And everything else begins to become more important. Our careers, our families, everything else. And all those things rise up, our entertainments. And then we say, but you know what, where's the passion? And our passions aren't anymore for the things of God. Yes, we're, because we learn how to walk, we're consistent in some stuff. People from the outside look at it and say, that guy's a consistent part of the kingdom of God. But our passions are not really there. Ask yourself, what things are you most passionate about? What makes your heart race and your voice level rise when you talk to somebody? When somebody, you're getting a conversation and you're talking about stuff, what topic is it that all of a sudden you begin to get excited about? Is it the things of God? Or is it just things of life? You know what, I've learned that unless that passion is for the things of God, other things can be okay. But if they're, if they're up here and God's down here, guess what, your maturity stops. Our maturity develops when our passions, when we say, I won't let you go, God until I have more. We wrestle with God and we cry out to advance and be blessed. And friends, I see that this was one of the things that caused Jacob to grow. He had a passion. And I think it is safe to say that if we don't have a passion for more of God, that we won't get it. You say, well, I want more of God, but I'm devoted to everything else. God says, you know what? I want those things to fade away. Not because he wants to take things from you, It's because he wants to give things to us. He wants to give us the better. The better, remember the old man, the old Jacob? He just sits in God's presence and says, this is the best. He wants to give us the best. In order to give us the best, he's got to strip away some things that, that rob us of the best. So we wrestle with God and we say, God, I want more. Number four, the next thing, super important one. And it's this, Jacob let God change him. In order to be mature in his life, he let God change him. At Peniel, God changed Jacob's name to Israel, from deceiver to one who wrestles with God. And he changed him from this prideful, independent man to a humble, dependent man who now walked with a limp. And sometimes in our life we say, if I walk with a limp, it means the presence of God's not there. The, the walking with a limp, the, the hindrance of God in, by touching his hip was the blessing. Because every day he was reminded that God wrestled with me, God touched me, that I've had an encounter with God. And friends, you know what? He, Jacob let God 
change him. He let him change him from this prideful, independent man to this humble, dependent man walking with a limp. It never says he complained about limping. It doesn't ever record that. He just walked with a limp. Friends, maturing is all about changing. We saw God change Abram to Abraham. We see in the New Testament God changing Saul, the persecutor of the church, to Paul, the apostle. And here we see God changing Jacob, the deceiver, to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And friends, part of maturing is the threatening task of going, of letting go of the past and becoming something new in Christ. And you need to hear this today. I know it is scary to get let go of the past. It's scary to let go of who you are today because it's familiar. I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm comfortable with how I interact with people. I'm comfortable with the level of commitment God's called me to. But God wants something more for you. He wants to change you into something greater. He wants to make you from a, from a Saul to a Paul. But it's scary because the past is familiar. But you need to hear me today. The past is limiting. The past may be familiar. The past may be comfortable. But the past has an ability to be limiting. And what God wants us to do, based on the example we see here in Jacob, is He wants us to let go and let God shape you into something greater. Friends, growth, maturity requires change. And if you want to mature, then you must be willing to change. And sometimes you look and you say you're exactly the same as you were 25 years ago. And you think, well, the world just gone to hell in a handbasket around you. They're all changed. No, God's saying He wants you to change. He wants you to develop. He wants you to advance. If you hit your peak 10 years ago, then something's wrong. God wants you to change. He wants you to mature. He wants you to develop. You know what? And I believe this may be the greatest barrier that most face in their maturing process. Their fear of change keeps people from becoming someone greater. You think the things that I'm grasping onto that give me some level of comfort and some level of joy is the best it is. No, it's not. God, He had to let go of who He was to become somebody greater, and God wants to do the same thing in all of us. Friends, you need to crush that fear. It's not from God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's not given us a spirit of fear. When you feel fear rise up in front of, inside of your heart, understand it's never from God. God has not given us that spirit. The devil gives us that spirit. The world can give us that spirit, but God never does. God wants us to advance. He wants us to change. And part of that is the fearful thing of letting go. Am I saying it's easy? No. It is scary. But here's what you need to know when you're walking with God. And you understand, this has to be, sometimes it's later in our development that we say, okay, Based on my track record with God, He's never let me crash and burn. And I can trust Him. I've told you in the past that one of my big fears is public speaking. <laughs> you know, is reading in front of people. You know, that's my big fear. That's always been. But you know what I've learned over the years? I try to tell my kids this when they, when they have to do some kind of presentation. I'll be scared to death to do it. And I'll say this, God, I, I still have the anxiety. Every time. I still have the anxiety but you've never let me crash and burn. Based on the track record, you've never let me crash and burn. And God, so I can trust you based on what you've done in the past to, let, to, to do something in the present or the future that's bigger than me. Friends, the same thing applies to every area of our life. 
God wants us to grow. And growth requires change. And so we let him change. Don't ever let fear rob you of what God is trying to develop in your life. You can trust him that any change that he's bringing into your life is a change to bless you and to bless other people. We can have confidence in that. The last thing. I know we're whipping through these fast. As well as possible. It's an important one. As well as possible, Jacob mended his broken fences. I want to explain what I mean by that. We all make mistakes in life. Anybody ever not made a mistake? Okay, you're wrong. (laughs) Just playing with you. Um, We've all made mistakes. It's part of being alive. The only person, we talked about this Wednesday night, the only person who doesn't make mistakes is the person who doesn't ever try anything. Say, I want to live it safe. I don't want to make a mistake. Well, if you never try anything, of course you don't make a mistake. But you also don't accomplish anything. Jacob made some big mistakes. He lied to his father. And he robbed his brother. Some pretty big mistakes. You know what? Those things couldn't be undone. When you do something and it's a mistake, you can't ever undo it. They couldn't be undone. But he could do his best to repair the damage. He could do his best to repair the damage. So he could move forward. The reason he he has to repair the damage is so that God could help him to move forward in life. And he wouldn't live the rest of his life looking back over his shoulder. So sometimes we've got to mend our fences. Jacob returns to his brother and makes things right. He bows down before him. says it bows before him seven times. He humbles himself and he blesses his brother and he gave him goats and rams and ewes and camels and cows and donkeys. He sent them all in groups before him, blessing and humbling himself before his brother. He went to his brother as a blessing. Understand this point, friends. He went as a blessing. He did not go to justify himself. He did not go to make excuses. He just went to say, I'm sorry. That's the best part, that's the most important part of mending fences. You don't just, you don't, a lot of people say they want to make things right, but what they do is they say, I'm sorry, but. When the but's put in there, it shows that really there's something, there's still a bunch of pride there. Because there's a self-justification. Real I'm sorry is just saying, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He didn't say, I'm sorry, but mom made me do it. Because she did. Mom told him to do it. He didn't do that. He didn't justify himself. He didn't make, make excuses, friends. And as we mature, God leads us to repair some broken fences. Humble yourself and do it. Understand this, friends. It is always worth it to restore a broken relationship. It's always worth it. In fact, a sign of maturity is being willing to take the lead in restoring broken relationships. The mature person says, I will be a peacemaker. The mature person says, I will, I will mend the broken fence. I will take the lead. And if they reject me, they reject me, but at least I tried. That's a sign of maturity, of being willing to put yourself out there and say, God, I want to see this relationship changed. So what we find in Jacob's life as we, we look at this transformation, we look at these things, all these different things evident in his life. We find a man who participated with God. He lined up with God through the years. He participated with God so that God could develop him into a mature man. And friends, I think there's some things in his life that God would like to do in our lives also. And my challenge to all of us today is that we keep moving forward by letting Jacob's life serve as an example to follow.
Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me this morning.